Good morning and welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for that wonderful worship that we got to sing about Christ and sing about his words. We are so thankful that his word has come to us that we may know him and be saved by him. Today we're continuing our series of Standing Firm from 1 Peter. So if you would, in your copy of God's word or on your devices, turn to 1 Peter 1, 22. 1 Peter 1 and verse 22. We are kind of picking up kind of the ideas. Of course, we know that God's word is inerrant and perfect and no a mixture of error within them. However, the numerical chapters and verses are, uh, can be. Uh, they are given later. And so we want to think through how we read through the thoughts and the ideas of the original letter. And so we're picking up kind of at the end of chapter one and we'll be going uh, through uh, the beginning of chapter two. And today we want to talk about how uh, we've been looking at how we are called to be aliens, exiles, those who are Christians, called to live in a world that is a part uh, that stands against God. How are we called to live? We're called to stand firm in our faith as examples of God and his work in our lives. And one way to do that, that we want to look today, is standing firm in his church, or standing firm in the church. How the church can be an anchor, it is a gift to us, it's beauty to us, uh, but it also displays uh, something in us. And so we're going to look at that together today, uh, beginning in verse 22 of chapter 1 of 1 Peter. Since, you've been, since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth, so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other, from a pure heart, love one another constantly. Because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, out of, but out of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word so that you may grow up into your salvation. If you have tested that the Lord is good, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by the people, but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house are being built up to be the holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will not be put to shame. So honor will come to you who believe, but for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone and a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word. They were destined for this, but you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you had received mercy. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would use this word to uh, encourage us, correct us, change us, and help us to see the glory of the one who has given us mercy. 
And out of this mercy, help us to live in according to what your scriptures say. And as we listen and as we read and as the Holy Spirit moves in our hearts, that, Lord, you would convict us to obedience and change and fall in line with your word. I pray that for my own heart, and I pray that for all of our hearts now. In Jesus' name, amen. There's maybe no more common frame that happens through American Christians today than the phrase, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. It, it is something that is said often by many people. None of you here, obviously, because you're here. But we understand that as many people say this, they have either immaturely never read what the Bible says about the church and their lives, or they're particularly denying and disobeying what they have read about the church and scriptures. Because you cannot read the New Testament, you cannot read the Bible and not understand that a Christian born again is called into a group, called into a local church, called to grow within the confines of a local church. You see, it's unfortunate that the a la carte idea or philosophy of Christians in America are now beginning to reap what they have sown. Even pre-COVID, there was the uh, tracking, those who track this sort of thing say that uh, American Christians uh, were considered regular attenders of the church were down to three times a month, when about 20 years ago it was three times a week. Uh, Also, unfortunate to this is what statisticians call the halo effect, meaning that when you answer a a question or poll that you answer it in a way that you know you should answer instead of what is reality. And therefore, the majority of Christians in America are probably attending church before COVID, that is, less than three times a month, uh, more likely two or one. But the Bible prescribes a local church as part as an important part of our walk and growth and formation as believers. Rather than abandon the church, we should start to seek rightly what does the Bible mean and what does it say and what is the purpose of God's church and to live that out faithfully during this exile here on earth. Now, of course, it's possible in reality to say that you might need to leave a church because the pastor is no longer preaching the Bible or that the church has fallen away from the gospel. But the reality is that we understand that we are called to commit to believers in a local church for our good and for the good of each other. Now, Peter is saying here much about the local church. And he's began by saying this, that the church or Christians have been formed out of the word of God. And because of this, they are characterized by their love for each other and their commitment to the local church. So as we think about what Peter is saying here, then I want us to see four reasons God has created the church and that it is necessary for us as believers 
to understand how a privilege the church is for our spiritual well-being, but even more than that, for our commitment and work in ministry to the world. So let's look at this if you're taking notes here or at home. Number one, God created the church for us to love each other. God created the church for us to love each other. In verse 22 through 25, it is very clear that God has said, since you have obedience to the truth or purified yourself, you must show sincere brotherly love for each other with a pure heart and love one another constantly, constantly. Peter states here that if we have been born again, then there is a calling and a change in our lives that we must love each other. This speaks to both a transformation that has happened to us in the gospel, but also, he says, it is a matter of our obedience to the gospel and the word that displays itself. Now, uh, in many ways, this love is a fruit that displays both our, our uh, actual salvation and the power of Christ. Uh, that's basically what Francis Schaeffer, a great Christian philosopher and writer, argues. He says that Jesus argues that it is the church and actually our love that shows or is, or is um, evidence of two things, both our personal salvation and actually his, uh, his in, uh, incarnation, his coming, it, his, the true nature that he came uh, for our salvation. And, and he says, Jesus argues it in this way, John 13, 35, he says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is Jesus saying that if we are to truly say we have been born again, then we will love constantly. Jesus continues in John 17, uh, uh, the great peace priestly prayer for both the disciples and us, the Christians to come. He says that both that our love displays our own personal salvation, but also is that evidence that Jesus came incarnationally to the world to save it. Jesus says and prays in John 17, 21 through 23, he says, may they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one, that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. What is Jesus praying here? He is saying that, that it is our oneness, our unity, our love, our concern for one another actually is evidence to God sending Jesus, Jesus in God, that Jesus saved us and therefore is evidence that he and the gospel are real. Therefore, if the unbelieving world looks at the church and sees malice and slander and deceit, it has every right to wonder, is this person really a believer of what they say they believe? Or two, is Jesus really who he says he was? Peter says and illustrates that we must understand that it is 
in us the love of God that changes us, that then comes out into the world that displays both our salvation and Christ's true nature. And he argues it in this way. He quotes from Isaiah 40, which is the book of comfort. Isaiah prophesies for the first, half, first three quarters of the book of Isaiah, of pending judgment, exile, of how, um, how uh, that judgment is coming, uh, that people, uh, Jerusalem's going to fall, the Jews were going to be exiled. And at the end, he gives this book of comfort. And, and Isaiah couldn't quite understand how out of all this judgment, there could truly be comfort. Well, well God says... Because people are fading, but my word is not. The prophecy, my promise, will always survive and be true forever and ever. And therefore, yes, there will be judgment for a time. My word of promise to the Israelites and Jews will always stand. And so Peter is using this as an illustration to say that, yes, Every human heart is flawed, yet we are born not a perishable seed, but imperishable seed. That we who are Christians, above all in the world, can love rightly, not because we know that our affections and things fall and fail, but because there is an imperishable seed of God, the Spirit of God that lives in us, that therefore in us is this hope eternal of the gospel that allows us to love one another rightly. And this is what we know, that if we have been saved, then we love this is what 1 John says. Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. Friends, it is in that unchanging nature in our hearts that we are called to love one another not based on if we agree, not based on if our politics agree, not if we believe or, or follow the same sports team. It's not because we're from the same geographic location. It's actually because we are all different, because we have, have, have the Spirit of God in us actually draws us near in an imperishable way of love for one another because Christ has loved us. And so those in the church then, we are called to love each other constantly. We're to love the world in display of Jesus a love for us. Heck, Jesus even says something audacious to say that we are to love our enemies. And this can only happen if we have the transformational power of Christ in us. And therefore, brother or sister, if you are called and you are a believer, how are you loving others right now? How are you loving others in the church? How are you displaying that love and the patience in your home? How are you loving each other in your social media banter? How are you loving each other in patience throughout the world? Or do you walk in and to a place of, of work or, 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 or a, a place of, um, 
let's just say a, a, a place of business, and the person there at the door says, hey, I'm sorry, but we do masks here. Could you put a mask on? Do you do this? Oh, oh gosh. Okay. Oh, you're one of those places. Well, how is that displaying love and patience? Did that person make that rule? Is that guy following the order? Is that lady following the order? What kind of love are you displaying to the world if you act like a petulant child? We need to love Jesus. And if we love Jesus, we love others. Secondly, God created the church for us to mature. Chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word so that you may grow up in your salvation. If you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, this is interesting because Peter says that we are created into the church because we are to love each other. But it is in this church that we are called to mature. And this display is then of us taking off our fleshly desires and putting on this love. That we are to take off malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Uh, For one, if we are doing those things, we are communicating something falsely about Jesus. But secondarily, our sanctification is saying that we should be growing more and more like Jesus not less and less like him. And therefore, if we are in the church, we are put here so that we will mature in our love for one another. It is this, I've said this numerous of times, I, in college I knew that there were, in my class I had labs to go with my, or laboratory classes that I were to go learn or to practice what I've learned in the lectures. Well, in the same way, the church is the laboratory of Christ and Christians that we are to learn and grow and display what we have learned in God's love first to one another and then to the world. Therefore, we should be growing in ways that that encourage relationships but not destroy relationships. Ephesians chapter 4 basically tells us, encourages us in this way, the reason why we go into a local church, but, but speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head Christ. From him the whole body then, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. Therefore I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles do in their futility of thought. Peter Paul here is reminding us in agreeing with Peter that it is in that relationship with the body of Christ that we are growing up in our relationship together. But back to what Peter said in these first three verses, how do we do this? He says he kind of has a prescription that we are to crave the pure milk of the word. Now, what does this mean? Well, we understand it to know there's, there's a difference that some of us, in a different part of the New Testament, it says quit pursuing milk, meaning kind of the beginning things of the scriptures, but go into the 
the deeper things, that you are to grow to the meat of the scriptures that you're to grow. Well, Peter's using this analogy totally different. So don't think about that idea. Think about what Peter's saying right now. He's saying that if you are to grow, you need to go to the pure milk of the word. It is a spiritual milk. It is understood to mean reasonable or rational. It is a spiritual milk from the Lord. It is to help us to understand that we are to go back to what is necessary or to crave what is important to us that created us as believers to begin with. The word of God and the gospel that we're to go back to it because we crave it because it truly grows us. Like for example, right now, and my household is a perfect example of this, if I were to ask Bella what she wants, she craves chocolate, chocolate, I want chocolate. Well, she knows chocolate. Well, we know chocolate's not good for her. Well, if Parker could speak, he can't, but if he could say what he wants, we know because the way he acts, all he wants is mama's milk. There's nothing else. He knows that is the most important thing for him right now. And so we as believers should be reminded there is nothing more important for us, for our growth, for our good, for our spiritual growth, is what formed us to begin with, the word of God, the gospel of God, that encourages us to be reminded that God saved us for us, he loved us, gave us mercy, and therefore we should treat others this way. And as we keep applying this milk, applying the scriptures, applying the gospel, then in it we are essentially growing, maturing in our faith. Now notice he said something here that you should desire the pure milk of the world. Pure obviously meaning without deceit. Pure. Unaltered. See, impure milk is not good for growth. In fact, it might even be harmful for stunting growth. It's just like what Ron Swanson says. There's only one thing I hate more than lying, skim milk, which is water that's lying about being milk. <laughs> you know you don't want to drink and keep your whole life on skim milk. You want something that is good and sadly, in our world, there's a lot of impure milk in which we digest. Peter warns us later in the book, and especially in his second book, false teachers are among you. Be careful that there's rotten teaching going on both in the church but also in the world. And we have to be so craving and loving and devouring the word that we already know when something impure is out there. You know, when you are a connoisseur of something, you know the difference. You know, oh, I, I, this is probably the fifth best calzone I have ever had. Uh, this is not even, or this one is not even worthy of calling itself a calzone. That's, that would be me. I'm a connoisseur of calzone or donuts. One of the two, I can tell you what level that you are. I have a chart. I have a chart. <laughs> but you know what is impure. You know what is wrong. And therefore, as you 
crave it and know it, you know that when people who even with good intentions are saying something spiritual, you know when it's not right. You know when it's not the pure word. And so therefore, we need to make sure that we're craving the pure word. Now, I'll just say this quickly because I read just the other day that Barna has done a survey. They're their, it's called their, their Bible survey. It's the big Bible survey they put out every year about Christians' relationship with the Bible. And it, there is, uh, it is said that this year that there was a huge dip in God's Word, reading God's Word. But believe it or not, that there has actually been more of a drop of reading God's Word since the pandemic started than before, that people are more likely to doom scroll through their newsfeed of their social media than to spend time in the Bible. It is said that of the 13 million people who are uh, evidenced of saying that they were once daily believers or daily intake of the scriptures, that it has dropped from 14 to 9% of believers are in the word every day. And those who said that they read the Bible several times a week have gone from 14% to 12%, the lowest number on record. The reality is, is there's a lot of bad things out there. And I'm going to be honest, I, I can believe that this is happening because I look at how Christians have been behaving for the past six months. Because they have inundated themselves with every cable news network, every blog site, uh, every social media feed that is telling them one thing that is different from what God's word says. And I think that if Peter was saying, saying, if, let, let me give you a, something, an application that you could do so that you could devour, crave a pure milk, step away from social media. Step away from those blog sites that you're reading. Step away from 24-hour cable news for a little bit. Because you know what? You are devouring and craving something that is impure. And some of you might say, I don't think I can do that. What's going to get me anxious and mad in the morning if I don't do that? What am I going to do? How am I going to keep up and, and stay angry all the time? Well, I encourage you, brothers and sisters, crave God's word. And right now, you're drinking so much impure milk and so much message from the world, whether it be political junk, um, world news junk, entertainment news junk, that you can't hear God's word to you. It's like you're sticking your fingers in your ears or putting blindfolds in your eyes to God's truth for your life. You should be craving and consuming God's word so that you will grow. And it will grow you to love one another. This pure milk which we grow will help us keep from those concerns of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, and envy because we can't read God's word and then turn right around and live that way. And that's why we encourage, and today is life group launch, because we say our purpose, our goal, our, 
what we want, why you need to be in a life group, either ones that meet on Sunday morning or throughout the week. It is designed so that you are with other believers consuming God's word, being changed by God's word so that you mature in your faith. God created the church for us to mature. Third, God created the church as a spiritual house. In verse 4 through 8, we see that it says, As you come to a living stone, rejected by people but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in Scripture. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So honor will come to you who believe, but for the unbelieving, a stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the corner stone and the stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word and were destined for this. Peter reminds us that we have been created, uh, that we have, we have been called and created for a spiritual house, meaning that we have been put together, not as just somebody who's walked in and said, oh, this looks like a pretty uh, pretty cool club I could join. They, I think they got a cool shirt and a bumper sticker. Or, uh, that Hey, this is a, we just kind of walk and see whatever church that we're supposed to go into. No, God has created a spiritual house. One that is indwelt, empowered, and belongs to him. And the only entrance to this house, the only entrance is by those who have trusted in Jesus and come to him. That's the only way. Uh, this whole uh, analogy and words that Peter is using is using the old scripture, the Old Testament to remind us that God has laid the cornerstone, chosen the cornerstone before there was time Jesus to be the one who died for our sins, to be the one who, who took the penalty for our sins, who died on the cross and rose again. It is this cornerstone, the very Son of God in which all belief hangs on, this cornerstone that God chose. It is us who have been changed by grace that accepts, accepts Jesus as the Son of God. This is how we enter the house. And notice how this comes together. It says, just as Jesus was rejected by the world, so are we. Just as Jesus was chosen, so are we. And just as Jesus is honored, so too will we at the revelation of Christ as we persevere by faith. If we come to Christ, the living stone, we will become living stones. Jesus is the cornerstone, and God builds a spirit, spiritual house that rests in him. And because Jesus is the chosen one, we are God's chosen ones. Let us not diminish what membership and inclusion and the church of God is. It's from God himself. It's a spiritual nature. It is God's presence. When he talks about a house, it is the temple that was understood to be God's presence. We are God's 
people who are indwelt with God and we who are here are upstairs. We are indwelt with God and we are together. We know God's presence is here and, we, and even if we can't make it because we're sick or, or we're because of a pandemic, we, we're not alone. We're still connected to God and, and we can for a time be separated, but it is what we do with Jesus matters that brings us into this spiritual house. I mean, I was rocked to the core this week when learning that Chadwick Boseman, who was played the Black Panther in the Marvel movies, died of cancer. And earlier this year, we saw Kobe Bryant die. These are, these are strong men who were young that died suddenly. And 2020 can't get any worse when all these people that that we don't understand why, why is this happening? And it reminds us, brothers and sisters, of this truth that we must wrestle with where are we going to spend eternity? We have this wonderful house in the church that we belong now, but even more so, the house of God that we will spend in eternity. And the question for us is, what have we done with Jesus? Have we believed in him? Have we been changed by him? Have we trusted him? And if you're watching this morning because someone shared this on social media, you just came on to find out more about Christianity. Brothers and sisters, everything we do, everything we say, everything we are rests on the cornerstone of Jesus. If Jesus is not who he says he is, then everything we do has failed. But we believe Jesus is the Son of God who died for our sin, who was raised to life on the third day, and it's only through him, that perfect cornerstone, that we enter the house of God forever. Do you believe? Have you trusted? Have you been born again? And as we consider this, consider the local church of how important it is how vital it is that it is a spiritual house designed by God, that we are living stones. And that the good news is that the exiles, even though that we have been rejected by the world, we will always have a home with God. Charles Spurgeon said, Christians will never have any cause to be ashamed of Jesus upon whom they believe. They shall never be driven to confess that they made a mistake in trust, trusting him and are therefore ashamed of having been so miserably duped. To risk all with Jesus is to end all risk. Brothers and sisters, it is because we are in the house of God because of Christ, this spiritual house we can celebrate. But fourth and finally, God through this spiritual house has created a new people, a new people. Verse nine through 10, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We could spend eternity in these two verses and plumb the depths of its riches. But let us hear this wonderful truth that though 
you seem to experience humiliation and shame, brothers and sisters. Though you see all, everyone around you seen as irrelevant nobodies, you are now members of a new race, a royal servants to a supreme king, citizens of divine kingdom, and residents of a heavenly city. You have now had a new identity that you are royal priests, that you one day will get to reign with Jesus. In Revelation, it tells us that, that we get to reign with God with authority over the nations, to sit on the throne of Jesus, to reign on the earth, to have the authority and judge and reign with him, but also as priests that we have the opportunity to minister to the world in God's name. And that is why it's so important the church, that we have been called to minister to each other, but to minister to a lost world that is far from him. That is why Peter spends so much time emphasizing the Christian's holiness, because it is us who are ambassadors and representatives of God and Christ our King, that we are to minister to the world. And anytime we fail or falter or, or choose sin over choose holiness, then we are misrepresenting the King. And so we don't just represent God to the unbelieving world, but we are God's people in order to minister to the world. During this time of tragedy, we've said over and over again, it is God's gift to the world that Christians exist. It is God's gift to the world that the Christians remain, that can minister to the world during untrying times such as these. So what are we doing as God's priests and kings and mediators? Well, together we can minister to our community and to our world and to our families and to our, our workplaces and to our schools that God has created in us this new identity to live for him. So we must be part of the church. Is the church imperfect? Yes. But is God working to purify the church? Yes. Does God have another plan in which the glory of Jesus to be known in the world? No. We are plan A. And God has given us to display his kingdom here on earth. And that is quite a calling, quite a privilege, and quite a responsibility. A commentator named Karen Job says, The Christian community declares by its existence, through its liturgy and its worship, by its daily lives of its members and the mighty deeds of Christ's resurrection which reveals the praiseworthy character of God. So brothers and sisters, as we gather, as we love each other, as we display the love to one another first and then to the world, we are bringing praise to God and showing the world that he deserves to be praised. So let me encourage you today. Firstly, trust in Christ. If you've not trusted in Christ, you need the cornerstone, the one who has saved you. You need to trust in him. And then through that, through that imperishable seed, God will bring you into a new people, a new identity, a new family, a new home, a new heart forever. And it just so displays itself in the local church today. But to us as believers, how is your love communicating and what is it communicating about Christ 
and his church and your own salvation? Are you displaying Christ's love right now in your behavior, in your tone, in your rhetoric, in your, in your service, and in your love? How are you displaying Christ's love right now? How are you as a royal king and queen priest displaying our Father to the world? Well, let us look at how we love one another and then look at how we love the world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you and thank you for this wonderful calling and gift to be a part of your heavenly kingdom. And God, may it draw us into a time and specifically to a local place where we might love the world rightly. And I pray, God, that we would understand this wonderful privilege that we have through your Son, Jesus Christ. May we show the world who the true king is by how we love the world and how we love your word. We pray this, that you would change us in Jesus' name. Amen.